Hey everyone, I'm Juwan. I'm Julia. And we're the co-owners of the Instagram account O3Knows, and we're coming to you today with the fourth episode of our podcast, O3Pros. And so we took a little bit of a break. Um, it wasn't long, but it was a little bit of a break just because Julia and I, we're both young Asian girls, and the things that happened recently, um, it was a little bit heavy and um, I think it was important to get a little bit of time to process but now that we're back even though this week's topic might be a little bit heavier I guess um, than other topics that we've done we really wanted to talk about it just because it was something that hit so close to home for us yeah so Julia do you want to yeah just seen through social media in the context of 2019 to 2021, I guess. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe mm-hmm. 2020 to 2021, but the Black Lives Matter movement came in this large media wave this time around because of the interface of Instagram and like the way that media and technology kind of works these days and the people decided to use or exploit these platforms. So with like infographics or whatever it is, Um, We saw, like, all of those behaviors and all of that new kind of stuff that was coming in an influx um, be, like, translated onto resources or infographics in regards to, like, stopping Asian hate on social media. Yeah. And I don't know. That's just one part of it. But, yeah. I think I just wanted to know the cause and effect or, like, the change that one movement that is separate from stopping Asian hate, the Black Lives Matter movement, has directly benefited to mm-hmm. like our community and yeah just asian folks but i guess like you said with the increase in presence in terms of activism through through social media especially uh for like the asian community mm-hmm. that's something that is pretty novel i think because obviously there's always been um like uh, activism groups that stood up for um, Asian people and members of the Asian community, mm-hmm. but um, the the reach of their voice was not as big as it is right now. Right. Um, ultimately, because of like this new kind of wave of like new age information that everybody can have access through um, through Instagram, and I think that because of that just like the impacts of racism against Asian people and the Asian community has become a lot more tangible. Like it's so much uh, easier to be aware of now. Like it's, it's now been quantified. So it's not just like, you know, just an Asian person saying like, Hey, don't call me an Asian slur. And then like them getting made fun of for being too sensitive, but it's like, no, like there are actual quantifiable instances of like violent and impactful racism racism against asian people Mm -hmm. um and i think that it's it's deeply upsetting that it has to get to a point where like that kind of stuff happens in order for these infographics and things like that to circulate Mm -hmm. um but at the same time those kinds of things have been happening and the infographics that have become that have begun to circulate are now you know kind of like a wake wake up call to a lot of people that aren't part of the asian community um that have ignored or or neglected um issues within uh the asian community for so long right and not even just within the asian community if you're in a predominantly white town with just a select few 
Asian families or Korean kids or Chinese kids or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's kind of like maybe a heightened awareness of the displacement of those kids or those families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I hope that's maybe what's going on in other areas. I really can't tell because yeah. we're obviously in our own bubble and everybody is, but I hope it's happening. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think, um, I guess just writing on that though, I was reading an article from The Conversation and it's an article written by Andy Chuang and um, she wrote something that's titled Two Stereotypes That Diminish the Humanity of the Atlanta Shooting Victims and All Asian Americans. So she basically breaks down these two stereotypes into first the perpetual foreigner which is the over overwash of just thinking of Asians as immigrants who are constantly struggling and never assimilate or really integrate themselves mm-hmm. into um, mm-hmm. American society or communities or culture if there is one and that's that's something we talked about like a few episodes ago I think just like constantly feeling like the right. other um, and yeah, yeah that is just yeah. like being isolated and that is mm-hmm. I think but to differentiate those two being displaced in your environment because of the racial adversity you face is different from the stereotype of being a perpetual foreigner which is put onto asian people by non-asian people which is just like mm-hmm. oh you'll mm-hmm. never you'll never be yeah. american you're yeah. too much of this or you're not enough yeah. white or whatever it is mm-hmm. but yeah and then the second stereotype is being the model minority so this is coming from Washington University, and it kind mm-hmm. of details, I guess, the origins of model minority. So I'm just going to read basically like an excerpt from what I found online. The term model minority refers to minority groups that have ostensibly achieved a high level of success in contemporary U.S. society. The term has been used most often to describe Asian Americans a group seen as having attained educational and financial success relative to other immigrant groups. The model minority label on its surface seems to be an accolade because it appears to praise Asian Americans for their achievements. However, Mm. a critical analysis of the way the term is used and the consequences of its use suggests that there are pernicious effects of classifying Asian Americans really Asians, we ain't gotta say Asian Americans, but, or any racial group as a model minority. Mm-hmm. So, history of the term. The term model minority was coined in 1966 by sociologist William Peterson in an article he wrote for the New York Times magazine um, titled Success Story, Japanese American Style. And he emphasized that family structure and a cultural emphasis on hard work allows Japanese Americans to overcome the discrimination against their group and achieve a measure of success in the U.S. And um, numerous popular press articles subsequently appear describing the successes of various Asian American groups. Um, Explanations of the seeming success of Asian Americans focused on Um, A lot of Confucian values, work ethics, centrality of family, and genetic superiority. Um, But one factor that was often overlooked in these accounts was U.S. immigration law. 
1965 Immigration Act reversed years of restrictive immigration policies that virtually banned all immigration from Asia, allowing for a greater number of immigrants to enter the U.S. from non-Western countries, um, including countries in Asia and Latin America. Although this act lifted previous geographic restrictions, it allowed only those with certain backgrounds to enter the U.S., and after immediate family members of those already in the U.S., the second priority was recruiting professionals and scientists. And as a result, a large influx of highly educated professionals, such as doctors and engineers and scientists from Asia, left their home countries after 1965 and immigrated to the U.S. And it's this group of Asian Americans that immigrated alongside their children that make up a significant portion of the Asian American community today. So a radical change in U.S. immigration policy can thus explain some of the individual success stories profiled in popular press articles describing Asian American cess or really coining them as model minorities. So a lot of what the model minority myth does is kind of put a wedge between all groups of people of color or immigrants that came to the U.S. and now just reside here. People will refer to the quote-unquote model minority of Asian people, of Asian folk that are um, successful uh, because they came here and they worked hard um, and saying that because those people, because these Asian immigrants can do it, then every other immigrant and every other person of color and every other minority group um, should be able to do it as well. Um, but obviously, there are a lot of uh, nuances in in like the culture and in the behavior and in the situations of um, immigration and racism in the United States, the systemic racism in the United States uh, that allowed for a few select members of the Asian community to be able to, um, you know, uh, seize opportunities and obviously not to diminish the success of um, a lot of Asian people uh, because many of them got to where they are because they're extremely hardworking. Um, however, there are a lot of conditions that were uh, specific to, um, I guess, Asian people um, that allowed them to achieve that kind of economic and social footing that a lot of other minority groups um, don't have access to. It diminishes the Asian community in the United States, specifically like the Asian immigrant community, um, to just like mm, disposable playing pieces for white America, uh, just because the like you when you outline kind of like the history behind the myth, it's because of like these changes in American policy um, that specifically curated the mm-hmm. types of immigrants that came from um, Asia to America so that they were highly educated and you know, extremely, they were already, you know, they already were professionals. Right. And from then on, it was just, we just became playing pieces. We just became like little chess pieces on white America's chessboard. And because of that, um, like you said, it, it does create a wedge between the Asian community and a lot of other immigrant communities and a lot of other um communities of color uh, just because even though there are a lot of Asian people within the Asian community that reject the model minority myth because you know as I said it's it's a myth mm-hmm. um, that founding stereotype will always be kind of the exactly the underlay mm-hmm. because even though a lot of people do reject the model minority myth there are still people within the Asian community 
who believe it, mm-hmm. who who think that because they're so hardworking and, um, you know, obviously there are, you know, cultural differences, there are cultural nuances between, you know, maybe like East Asian culture versus like other cultures. But, you know, that that is normal. Like there are always going to be d- cultural differences, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that one one race or one ethnic group is more likely to succeed or or um more predisposed to success than another um but i think that because of this myth that was kind of created to cause a divide between communities of color uh, by white america right. um, a lot of people within the asian community kind of just ate it up and and let it become a thing that um I guess, kind of embodied them. Right. And I just want to make note that even after the 1965 Immigration Act reversed years of these like restrictive immigration policies, um, people who immigrated, you know, Asians, um, I guess from my standpoint, I can only speak on East Asians, but also Mm -hmm. generally Asian populations who were immigrating to the U.S. past 1965 like for example the 90s or the 80s mm-hmm. like my parents um mm-hmm. were brought in with that founding stereotype so they came in under that expectation um from an educational standpoint from yeah. a corporate standpoint from you know whatever ladder you're climbing in the u.s you were always held up to that example and it's kind of diminished since then but it's still so heavy and it's still the parents that raise their children now who ride Mm -hmm. on that um, Mm -hmm. myth, like you were saying. Um, So it's not even that it's just um, generations of families or people who grew up prior to the 65 Immigration Act reversing these years of um, kind of selective immigration for Asians. Um, Mm -hmm. It's also people coming in past that and constantly having to compare themselves to that expectation I guess but I also think it kind of becomes really problematic within the Asian community because you said something about comparing and I think that that is it's it's balled into pride like it's formed into like a really um toxic form of like Asian pride yeah and I think that because of that you know, like I said, it's it's problematic because a lot of times, you know, it's really hard when you're an immigrant to work and be able to get to that point of like economic and educational success. And for a lot of Asian immigrants, it's not attainable mm-hmm. easily. It's not easily attainable. But because of this whole um, myth and skewed sense of like Asian pride, um, there's just an immense pressure on a lot of Asian immigrants to to get to a point where they can you know like say that they're they're part of that model minority right or even over or even you know like achieve through that myth and Mm -hmm. then feel like they overcame all the adversity that they face Mm -hmm. as an asian person who looks Mm -hmm. visually asian which is like Mm -hmm. the biggest thing for any xenophobe or racist really Mm -hmm. so yeah and um i can just give you an example that I came across recently where a uh, I he's probably in his 50s but um a Korean man that I know like through parents and like family friends Mm -hmm. he said as a part of like facing adversity in in the corporate workplace being Asian is not um 
a weak suit, I guess, anymore because people mm-hmm. merit Asian folks uh, through the myth. So it's still heavily perpetuated in the corporate mm-hmm. world today, and people still cherry pick and um, pigeonhole just Asian people into one kind of stereotype, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. work ethic wise, and how much you can beat them down until they're completely burnt out mm-hmm, wise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think I'm completely um, part of it. Like, for some reason, I like, I find myself sometimes I'll like do too much, like, because I feel like compensating for or having some kind of so-called good work ethic or Mm -hmm. staying so pleasant in like school settings with like meetings with teachers or whatever deems Mm -hmm. me like whatever like just successful in a way when in fact like I'm kind of not like that outside of school yeah like I have a different persona with teachers and whatever I mean I'm sure non-Asian kids and like white people do that too but for me, it just feels like I've been kind of, I've had like this small little like part inside that is like, oh, you should be kind of a really I think, ideal I think Asian that, like, person. I think, yeah, it becomes the baseline. Yeah, like yeah. we have to be extra hardworking and extra polite and um, extra palatable in a social exactly, setting, exactly. Um, in order for it to just be like the most basic in order for you to feel like a good person or something acceptable exactly. or like a approachable or pleasant whatever yeah um kind of i guess uh turning the direction of the conversation but something that i really wanted to talk about mm-hmm. um which is a little bit more related to the um atlanta spa shooting um is um, this wasn't one of the stereotypes that you'd mentioned um, from the reading in the article that you read, mm-hmm. but um, it is one that I found to um, be so extremely problematic and be like the motivating factor behind a lot of this violence and, and animosity towards um, particularly Asian women. And it's just like the the grossly over-sexualization of Asian women through popular um, through mainstream Amer- American media and and just through popular American discourse, it's like um, just the fact that you know having an Asian fetish is just like funny. Like if if someone having yellow fever, yeah. Like if someone's just like, oh yeah, like I'm into Asians. Like I have an Asian fetish. Like that's just funny. Mm. Like that's just like a joke to them. Or it's it's and a respectable because... choice. Exactly, <laughs> and it's just like. I think because of the way that that Asian women have been presented in American media for so long, like since the beginning of representation of Asian women right, in right. American media, yeah. um, it's just become like, okay, like that makes sense for you to fetishize an, an entire race of uh, mm-hmm. women. They're really um, pleasant. <laughs> yeah, like it just makes us so disposable. And I think because of that, um, even though, you know, everybody, you know, people are like, oh, I love Asian girls. Like, they're so, like, they're so great, whatever. It Even though, you know, it's under that guise of, like, praising Asian women mm-hmm. and, you know, loving Asian women. Get to the root it's of really, why you feel that way. It's, yeah, it's really conversely 
um, diminishing Asian women and and completely uh, making them inferior to just like the baseline human mm-hmm. um, because it just becomes um, we just become I guess like a commodity uh, we just become like an accessory or something that you can have like a a, a predilection for do you know what I mean mm-hmm. like when when people say oh I like Asian women like why do you like Asian women because we're presented because of white Asian sexual theory. imperialism exactly and it, like you like Asian women because white media has deemed us to be more submissive and because white media has deemed us to be smaller and more delicate or or you know for one um, sorry to wedge myself in just um less linguistically competent for people who weren't mm-hmm. born in the U.S. and have came- come here so it's like mm-hmm. This very surface level, um, fetishized and uh, from a white American standpoint in films, TV shows, whatever it is, mm-hmm. this weird or like, yeah, just like heavily sexually um, charged uh, language or rhetoric where it's like, me love you long time. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. Don't uh, even. Uh, don't uh, even. Uh, oh, don't even. Uh, <laughs> And many others, but it's like, yeah, oh, like they don't, many. they don't know English that well. Like I could swoop them up and just take them home. Like it's that like, kind gross. of like naivety gross. and, um, it's just like, I mean, that even goes with just the fact that language is such a, um, thing that people who speak like native English, I guess, in the U.S., like pride themselves on or make fun of others for intellect um yes exactly being fluent in english for a lot of english only speakers mono monolingual people Mm -hmm. um for some reason it's just like oh if it's if that person is like a non-white person who can speak perfect english they must be more intelligent than another non-white person who can't speak perfect English. Yeah. And I think that that manifests itself so many times, like, in our own personal experiences. I guess that also in conjunction with, like, the view, the way that a lot of, um, you know, the way that white America views Asian women in specific, just from a personal experience that I have, um, mm. it's it's the way that when I was in, like, third grade my mom went to the post office and my mom can understand english perfectly Mm -hmm. but when she speaks it she has like a very thick accent and you know she might like miss a few transition verbs but that's normal same with my mom it's like not her her first language um but she went to the post office alone um and she was trying to you know just have a normal conversation to let the person at the counter know uh, what she was there for and what she needed and just the whole time uh, the person at the counter was making a big deal out of not being able to understand her, um, not not being able to like the person was just making a big deal about my mom, um, uh, supposedly not understanding what he was saying and and not doing what she needed to do in order to, you know, send her package, which was dumb because my mom did understand it perfectly fine. And she understood it. It, it was obvious that she understood it perfectly fine because she was very visibly upset when she got home. Um, because the person was just not cooperating with her mm-hmm. purely because you know she has a bit of an accent and because she seems I guess submissive enough to just trample over like that um, but then she went back the next day 
with my dad who studied in America. Mm-hmm. So he he's he, his Korean accent is like uh, significantly less detectable. Mm-hmm. And he's also, you know, a taller man. Mm-hmm. And he goes and all of a sudden this this same person is at the counter and th- there's just such a drastic disparity in respect. Oh, that goes for um, everything. Goes and for I think that, too. yeah, that's just... I feel like that is just such um, an explicit uh, example of... But something that hasn't been addressed for a really long time. Yeah, it's just... Like, that is such a perfect example of how Asian women are... Treated. Yeah, viewed and treated. Exactly, as just, like, lesser. Less intelligent. Less assertive. Right. Easier to just, you know exploit take advantage of do whatever you want to them you know use them as some kind of a stress punching bag because you had a bad day at a Mm -hmm. post office or because you had a bad day period just go on a rampage and murder like literally murder individuals lives and and that kind of brings us back to the atlanta spa shooting and and i think that i read an article um uh, the police, the sheriff or whoever claimed that the the perpetrator, the murderer, um, was a quote-unquote sex addict. Mm-hmm. And um, even though it was very obviously a, um, a hate crime. racially targeted, it was a hate crime. It was very obviously a hate crime. Um, a- according to that article, the the murderer said that um, those, those spas that he, he targeted uh, were quote unquote um, sources of sexual temptation for him, and I think that these um, businesses run by hardworking Asian women, um, those women and their businesses, their their life, their life's work was just diminished to disposable sexual temptation. Exactly. So disposable to the point where that murderer thought that felt that he had jurisdiction as to over the lives of those women and and the and the workings of that business. Right. I think that segues the point into how things like the model minority myth or this like innate anti-Asianness within the US and its history and its culture um lends itself to or really overshadows all of the sexual violence. Um, and sexist mm-hmm. violence mm-hmm. that is deeply rooted within this um, anti-Asian hate. Um, how, especially the model minority myth, kind of shields or covers a lot of the sexual violence against Asian women mm-hmm. um, because they're a woman and because they have all of these added stereotypes onto them, which is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, a double standard once again you're a woman of color and that goes for any woman of color you have this racial implication put onto you alongside the fact that you're Mm -hmm. a female and it's Mm -hmm. not even that those two separate stereotypes or entities are just compounded onto each other it's that it's like a whole new thing they they fuse together to create this whole new beast Mm -hmm. of hatred Mm -hmm. and um prejudice and it's insane (laughs) Yeah, And obviously I can only speak on being an East Asian person or a female, um, but the same clearly goes all across the spectrum. I mean, it's, 
it's I was trying to explain this to like middle-aged men like maybe like a few weeks ago and I actually explained (laughs) it wrong I guess because I just realized that it's not just the two um racial and uh sexist implications being like taped together it's Uh it's them working together to become a a whole nother entity a whole different one yeah crazy crazy because that sexist notion alongside the race um becomes sexual violence Mm -hmm. i feel like it's really suffocating i guess thinking about the fact that thinking about the way that no matter how I present myself, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I work, um, no matter how intelligent I am, mm-hmm. before I even open my mouth, people will view me as a disposable commodity or view me as a sex object or, you know, view me as some kind of like a exotic, an exotic object of like sexual attention. And I think that it's really frustrating for me and I think that you know on top of the the tremendous grief and fear that came with what happened in Atlanta you know just having the victims be women my mom's age um, who you know have lived similar lives to people that I know and I'm close with in my community here Um, on top of you know that grief and and fear um, it was just like such a like I said, suffocating frustration, knowing that that's just like the way it is. And it's the way that it's been for decades. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't want to end it off on such a, on such a, like a fatalistic, I guess, um, tone, but it's just like, that's how I feel about it right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're. I'm happy to be able to discuss this with you and, like, literally just put it out on the internet. Mm-hmm. Because I don't even know, like, what, what I could have done if the underlying issues which have plagued the Asian community within the U.S. weren't brought up as they mm-hmm. are today. So, yeah. I guess we'll close it off there. Yeah. But we can definitely Thank expand you. on this because we d- did not... Um, speak very comprehensively on things like the model minority myth which Chiwen and I could go on for like ages Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. um, double standards um, Mm -hmm. really anything else sexual violence towards women of color it's a really loaded topic yeah Um, but for the sake of not making this episode like seven hours long (laughs) yeah we're gonna have to split it up and do it as we go right thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode Um, We're going to try our best to get back onto our normal um, posting schedule, recording and posting schedule. So stay tuned for that on Monday nights. Um, Also, follow our Instagram if you don't already. It's at 03 knows, which is 03KNOWS. And if you want to hear any specific topics uh, from us, then just shoot us a DM, leave it in a comment, whatever. We'll see it and we'll take note of it and it would be great. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Yay. Bye.